I do greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I do want to say this. We do not take you guys for granted. And uh, this is one of uh, a most wonderful place to come on a Sunday morning to worship God in spirit and in truth. The fellowship is always so sweet. Uh, the word centered in all of the songs and all of the scriptures that uh, prepare our hearts to hear God's uh, proclamation. Uh, so thank you, all elders, deacons, and all members uh, who come uh, to worship our God and Savior, our God and Lord, Savior Jesus Christ. So I'm here, uh, glad to be here. We will talk about unity and its foundation and beauty. I selected this passage um, based on my wife's suggestion. Um, not the passage, but what I'm about to do. Uh, my wife uh, suggested that when, when we do come and, and visit our uh, supporting uh, churches and when I do get the privilege uh, to proclaim God's word, and it is a privilege that I do not take for granted, so thank you for having me proclaim God's word to you uh, this morning, uh, that I should take a passage, uh, proclaim the passage, uh, faithfully exposit the text, but also give updates in terms of prayer requests. Um, how can uh, the church be praying for us um, uh, as we serve as we serve the Lord in Haiti? So I'll give you a map uh, for for the sermon: unity, its foundation, and beauty. Uh, so I will talk uh, about the foundation. I'll give you three points on the foundation for unity, and to get those three points, we'll look at the background uh, of the passage. And then we'll talk about unity, uh, where I will give you another three points, um, and we will exposit Psalm 133 and see, um, and see the beauty, uh, the beauty of, uh, of unity. All right? So I chose Psalm 133 in relation to the year that we had uh, this past year, this has been one. This was one of the most challenging year uh, in leading the Bible Institute of Grand Guave. Uh, this was the year that I faced the most criticism that I've ever faced. Uh, this uh, this was the year where we had to make a lot of hard, hard, hard decisions concerning some staff and concerning some students and. Uh, the criticisms were uh, based on what we teach at the Bible Institute uh, that offends many. Uh, and some of our distinctives in terms of what we teach, male headship, uh, that, uh, that offends our evangelical world uh, in, in Haiti. Uh, so that's, that's a difficult doctrine to teach. Um, we, uh, I received strong criticism in our teaching on church, church discipline. Uh, so that's another hard uh, doctrine. And, and in practicing that, we've had to dismiss uh, a professor. We've had to dismiss uh, students. Um, and we get much criticism on uh, 
our teaching on our elder qualification, First uh, Titus 1 and uh, First Timothy 3, uh, because uh, uh, there are many pastors in Haiti who are not qualified to be pastors, so that's a really hard, hard doctrine to teach. Uh, so... I was uh, criticized uh, for bringing much division uh, to the church, and uh, uh, many of uh, former students uh, uh, would, uh, uh, from their pulpit, would claim that our school is dividing uh, the church in Haiti, and that uh, we're a school not to be trusted. Uh, so in the midst of all these criticisms, uh, uh, during our chapel service, I just took Psalm 133, and on two sermons, uh, we just expounded on uh, the beauty of unity and the foundation for unity and how much I love unity and how much Jesus and, and God the Father and uh, God the Holy Spirit are unified and how they desire for us uh, uh, to be uh, to be unified as well. Uh, so that's that's the background, and uh, that's why we'll be looking at Psalm 133. And as we look at it, I'll be uh, sharing some, some prayer requests uh, for the Bible Institute of Grand Guive and generally our ministry in Haiti. So let's look at God's Word, Psalm 133. Psalm 133, a song of ascent of David. Behold... How good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, coming down upon the edge of his robe. It is like the dew of Hermon, coming down upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. The word of God for the people of God. Please bow with me as I pray. Father, we, we thank you. We thank you for one another. Uh, we thank you that we can gather. We thank you for your word. And now we ask that you would shine your grace upon us so that I may be able to teach and proclaim it with great clarity and so that we would be disciplined to listen and that your Holy Spirit would move in our midst uh, showing us how to best apply your word. We trust and believe in you. In Jesus' name we pray. God's people said, Amen. Amen. So the foundation, to look at the foundation, uh, we will consider the historical background. And I want us to picture unity uh, like, uh, like we picture a house. And at times, we admire the diversity that we can see in the house, right? The different rooms, uh, the kitchen, the living room, the porch, etc., but we never admire the foundation. Anybody look at the house and say, look at that foundation in that house. And at times, we tend to view unity like that, where we just admire the diversity and we celebrate and desire for greater diversity, uh, but we ignore the foundation. 
Um, so I want us to consider the historical background of Psalm 133. I will highlight three key points that will show us that the foundation for unity, it's not the diversity, but it's what we have in common. So the foundation for unity is comedy, not diversity. Though diverse, the, the diversity shows its beauty. Amen? And we're grateful for the diversity. But we must focus on what we have in common. Because that is the foundation for Christian unity. So if we consider the historical background... Uh, first, we'll consider the genre of the psalm. Now, we know that the psalms are uh, poetry, but in Psalm 133, uh, we are in the midst of uh, 14 psalms that have been categorized quite specifically. And I will quote from uh, this wonderful resource, World Biblical Commentary. And the reason why I'm quoting from the World Biblical Commentary this morning is because I want you to pray for Christian publications in Canada. Because uh, that major resource, uh, uh, commentary on all of the 66 books of the Bible from the uh, Dallas Theological Seminary, has been translated in French. And that is one of the major resources that our students uh, use to prepare their Bible studies and to prepare their sermons. So be praying for Christian publications in Canada. For they are engaging in the work of translating solid theological resources and making them available to the French-speaking world. So amen for Christian uh, publications in Canada. So Psalm 120 to 134 have been called pilgrim psalms. These all have the heading, A Song of Ascents. Though this designation and the superscription has been given a variety of interpretations, it is most likely, it most likely refers to Israel's going up to Jerusalem for the three festivals. The content of many of these psalms appear to be well suited to a visit up to Jerusalem. So that's the background in terms of the genre that uh, gives us what kind of psalm uh, this psalm is. It is a song of ascents, of ascents, as the children of Israel would venture back to Israel, they would sing uh, these uh, these songs together, and Psalm 133 is one of these songs. So, what's uh, the first the first point I want to highlight when we consider the genre? And the first point is a common blood. A common blood was the foundation for the unity uh, that the children of Israel uh, shared. A common blood, and uh, the reason I'm hiding a common blood. Is in light of what would make uh, this journey back to Jerusalem significant. What would make this journey back to Israel meaningful? And what made it meaningful, they were the children of Israel, the 12 tribes. They had a common blood. And perhaps you may highlight some in the Old Testament. I'm thinking of Ruth. And I could think of one person in the New Testament, the Ethiopian eunuch, 
who would contradict the point that I'm making right now in terms of a common blood. But I simply want to highlight that what makes their story interesting is the fact that they did not share a common blood uh, with uh, the children of Israel. So therefore, that highlights the significance of having a common blood. So imagine Ruth. If Ruth were traveling back to Israel and singing that song, she would often be known or be called Ruth the whom? The Moabite woman who experienced God's grace. And even as we think of the Ethiopian eunuch in the book of Acts, what makes his story so significant is that he's from Ethiopia and he's traveling back to Jerusalem. So someone shared God's truth with him and he believed. So the fact that he was Ethiopian was special because he did not share a common, a common blood. So the common blood was extremely significant. The children of Israel had that in common and that laid the foundation for their unity. We'll consider a second point. And the second point is a common doctrine. A common doctrine. Want to highlight that the children of Israel had a common doctrine and that was significant uh, to the unity that they shared together. And to highlight that, we can consider the, the historical background of this psalm, Psalm 133, specifically the cultural background. And by cultural background, I'm simply referring to customs. Uh, what were the children of Israel accustomed to do? And when we read a Psalm uh, 133, verse 2, it refers to Aaron. And that takes us back to the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 8, specifically. So the children of Israel, what truly influenced their culture was the book of Moses. And when we say the book of Moses, we're talking about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And the book of Moses taught the children of Israel how to worship God. They taught the children of Israel how they were to dress. They taught the children of Israel what type of food they were allowed to eat and how they were to interact with people who were not the children of Israel. So the book of Moses influenced their culture. So when we consider their cultural background, the foundation was a book. It was the Torah. It was the law of God that emphasized everything that they did. So they had a common doctrine. Even as we consider Aaron uh, being emphasized here in verse 2, the reason that Aaron was able to have the position that he had was based on God's word. And the reason that the children of Israel would submit and look to Aaron was based on what the Torah taught so they had a common blood, they had a common doctrine. If we consider the geographical background of the text, what's highlighted is the mountain of Zion. And the mountain of Zion in, in, in Hebrew literature would often refer to Israel, uh, the whole country as a whole. So this 
geographical location was a place of hope, a place of blessing. As we see it even in the text, it is there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. And most of your commentaries would take you back to Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 8. It is there as the children of Israel are preparing to enter the land that Moses gave them the, the blessing. And Moses told them this is how they ought to live in the land if they desire God's blessing. And if they fall unto disobedient, then God would judge would judge them. So when we consider the geographical location, they were united by a common blessing, by a common hope, and also by a common obedience, a common uh, attachment to obeying God's word because that obedience was attached to the blessing. So if we consider the foundation for this unity that the children of Israel shared together. They had a common blood. They had a common doctrine. They had a common blessing, a common hope, a common attachment to obeying God's word. Does that remind you of anything? Does that remind you of anything? It should remind you of us. Us as Christians, as a local church, as God's people, we are united by a common blood. The life, death, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is our foundation. That blood, that death, life, and resurrection unites all of our hearts together. Our love and commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the foundation of our unity as a people. We think of a common doctrine. And when we think of the Christian faith and Christian doctrine, when we, when we speak of the scriptures, we talk about general revelation and special revelation. General revelation highlights how God has revealed himself through creation. But special revelation highlights how God has revealed himself through his word, through the Bible. And it is that special revelation that unites all of us together, forming a common doctrine. And we have a common hope, right? Our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in the world to come. When our great king will return and when we will be one people, one Lord, serving him forever and ever. And how we live on this earth, our commitment to our biblical doctrine, our commitment to living out our faith, that is the obedience that proves that we are indeed God's people. And all of that unites us together. So I shared all of that in one chapel service to highlight to our students and even to our staff uh, that every semester and every day of the week for we open Monday through Friday, uh, we offer 12 courses each semester. And these courses are designed to highlight the doctrine of the Bible. 
these courses are designed to unify us together. These courses are designed to ensure that we are indeed men of God. These courses are designed to, uh, to show us that we are committed to doing God's business, God's way. So I want you to pray for the Bible Institute of Grand Guave that as we teach semester after semester that this common doctrine would unite would unite us together and another prayer request uh, the Bible Institute of Grand Guave we currently have 14 graduates and uh, one new ministry that we're starting is a pastor's Bible fellowship and that pastor's Bible fellowship is made up of our graduating classes. And with these 13 graduates, uh, they represent at least 10 different local churches. And it is our goal that we would be unified around a common doctrine. As we're unified around a common doctrine, then we'll be able to do ministry together. We'll be able to evangelize together. We'll be able to recommend one another's churches to those who God would, would save. So please pray for the Bible Institute Pastors Bible Fellowship. That God would unify us around a common doctrine. And pray that God would grant us grace to be faithful as we make hard decisions. As we identify those who would not adhere to the doctrines that we proclaim. And pray for wisdom and pray for discernment. So we've looked at the foundation. Now let's consider the beauty. The beauty of unity. Verse number one. Behold, how good, how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. What makes it, what makes it good? The word good, the word pleasant is all tied together with unity, right? Apart from unity... Nothing here is good and, and pleasant. Okay? For brothers to dwell. The dwelling is good. The dwelling is pleasant because they are in unity. And what makes unity beautiful is that it fulfills its purpose. What makes unity good and pleasant it fulfills its purpose. And what is the purpose of unity? To assure that the dwelling place is good and pleasant. Apart from unity, we can dwell. But I'll guarantee you one thing. It won't be good and pleasant. Uh, the term that is used here for good, the Hebrew term, it's the same term that's used in the book of Genesis as God uh, uh, was creating uh, the, the universe. And each time he created something, it said it was, it was good. Why was it good? 
Because it did what God designed it to, to do. What makes us bad? Because we don't do what God designed us to do, which is to worship him. So Adam and Eve were good as long as they obeyed God and served him faithfully. But at the moment that Adam disobeyed, Adam became bad. So what makes unity good is that it fulfills its purpose. And the purpose of unity is so that the dwelling will be pleasant and good. I'll give one personal illustration. I was born in Haiti, so I'm a native Haitian. I left Haiti at the age of nine. Uh, My father had migrated to Florida before I was born. My mom was uh, pregnant with me. And he died when I was seven. Uh, so in 1989, my mom ventured to Boston, and in 1990, uh, she sent uh, for uh, my sister and me. And uh, we lived together for about three years, and then my mom met a guy. And they decided to get married. And they got married, and the first year was just wonderful. Um, I had a great relationship with my stepdad. And my mom was happy to be married. Uh, We went from all the three of us living in a one-bedroom apartment. We actually moved to a three-bedroom apartment. So for the first time in my life, I actually had my own room. I was really excited about that. And life was wonderful. But then my stepdad announced that he had three daughters back in Haiti. And that he had plans to bring those three daughters to Boston. And for them to live with us. And when they moved in, his three, daughter, his three daughters were the ages of um, 18, 16, and 14. When they moved in with us, the home was no longer good and pleasant. The dwelling place was no longer good and pleasant. Why? There was no unity. Those three daughters simply said, you're not our mother. And our dad did not tell us that he had another woman. We have our mom back in Haiti, and we were hoping that they would get back together. So the dwelling was no longer pleasant and good because unity was absent. Unity is good because it fulfills its purpose. It makes the dwelling place a good place to be. It makes the dwelling place a pleasant place to be. Apart from unity, you will fear your dwelling place. Number two. Unity is beautiful. Unity is good because it is exclusive. Because it is exclusive. Now that's... That's a hard point, but it is an important point. Unity is exclusive. The text says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers. Brothers. And the word brother here is like fellow tribe men. It's exclusive. 
So f- for you to be part of this unity that, that David is talking about, you had to be a fellow tribesman. Meaning you had to embrace the common doctrine. Or you had to have a common blood. You had to have a common hope. So if no common blood, no common doctrine, no common hope, guess what? You're not a brother. Are you there, church? It's exclusive for brothers to dwell Together, brothers, fellow tribesmen. The unity is exclusive. That makes it beautiful. And you may think, how does, give me a picture. I'll give you a picture. I grew up in Boston, so I cheer for the Boston Celtics. My wife, born and raised in Los Angeles, California. So she she cheers for the Los Angeles Lakers. God's divine intervention. We're one. About one summer, one summer ago, two summers ago, uh, when we came for the pandemic, and my wife couldn't get her passport renewed. So I had to return back to Haiti to uh, open up the school in September. So she stayed behind for a month. And during that month, the Lakers were in the finals. And I came home. My first daughter was wearing a Laker jersey. And declared herself a Laker. That happens when the father is absent from <laughs> she's a Laker fan and Gabby is a Celtics fan because she loves her father dearly <laughs> when we think of the different sport teams when you think of the Los Angeles Lakers or the Boston Celtics in order for you to go into the locker room you needed to have you need to have what a common uniform Something that shows that I'm a Laker. I'm a player. I'm part of that, of that team. If you're not a Laker, are you allowed to go into that locker room? No. And when we see the Lakers together, they all have the same jerseys and they're all playing together. We clap, we celebrate, we say that is our team. And the reason that they're our team is because they exclude others. And the fact that they exclude others, that makes them even more beautiful. Unity is beautiful because it is exclusive. And this is where church discipline comes in. This is where you have to pray for the Haitian church, even as you pray for the American church. Because we have to view church discipline as a means to maintain our unity. Because church discipline simply happens at the moment we begin to notice you're not looking like us anymore. You're not looking like you're part of the team. You're not looking like you're wearing the same uniform. You're not looking like we have the same commitment. 
So in order to preserve the unity, we must practice church discipline. So pray for us as we teach this hard doctrine, as we encourage our pastors, those pastors whom we're training to practice church discipline in their local churches with love, with wisdom, with patience, with commitment to doing God's business, God's way. So unity is beautiful because it fulfills its purpose. Unity is beautiful because it is exclusive. Unity is beautiful because it is inclusive. Unity is not only exclusive, but it's also inclusive. Uh, Verse 1 is a declaration of how good and beautiful unity is. Verses 2 and 3 are depictions. They give us, uh, David gives us illustrations to, uh, to show us how inclusive unity is. Verse 2, it is like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard. Uh, this is a picture of Aaron being set apart and being consecrated to serve the children of Israel. You have one high priest which will serve all of the different tribes, inclusive. And as this oil signifying or symbolizing the the unction that, that, that Aaron is about to receive to do the work that God has called him to do, and the reference to his robe upon the robe of, of Aaron would be the 12 tribes of Israel. So as the oil would drip down, it would touch each tribal group, inclusive. Unity is beautiful because it is inclusive. It is inclusive, and what makes it beautiful, uh, what makes the inclusivity beautiful, is the diversity that we can see as well. Different Tribal groups, all united to together. So we can admire that diversity because it is grounded on a solid foundation. So when we see it, we can say, wow, this is just wonderful. All of these different tribes coming together at a central location, singing the same song, worshiping one true and living God. And here in verse 2, all being represented by one great high priest. It's inclusive. The second picture, verse 3, it is like the dew of Hermon coming down from the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. It is like the dew of Hermon. Hermon, a great big mountain known for its massive snowfall and known for its great, known for the way that the sun shines upon it. And after a snowfall, when the sun is shining, what happens? The snow begins to melt. And as the snow is melting, it touches upon the Mount of Zion. Inclusivity. Mount Hermon is including Mount Zion. 
and the blessing that it shares. Mount Hermon is sharing its resources with Mount Zion. There the Lord commanded the blessing and I believe that's a reference to all of Israel. And as they would go back, it would be something special about I'm a native Haitian and I remember when we went back and we're serving in the village where I was born. Though I'm an American citizen, there's something special when I enter the village where I was born. There's something special of saying, my grandmother lived in that house. There's something special recalling my childhood and one of my next door neighbor when I was five years old she's still alive and she still lives next door to us so there's something special about the location when you can identify with it and for the children of Israel there was something special about going back to Zion about going back to Jerusalem about going back to their roots, about remembering Moses' words as their ancestors would enter that promised land. A common history. It was, it's inclusive. And we see it here all over the text through the two depictions. So here's the last prayer request. It's hard. And you as a local church... Can testify. It's hard work to include everyone, right? Um, Pastor Rick Holland, he made that statement when I was in seminary uh, concerning his church uh, that was growing and mega church. And he said, "the the bigger we be, the bigger we get, uh, the harder we have to work to be small." I think I think what he meant by that. As the bigger we get, the harder we have to work to make sure that everyone is included. The harder we have to work to ensure that uh, this is inclusive. That, that we're, we're all together and, and we're all playing a part. And, and we embrace our roles. So in Haiti, that, that is very difficult to do. Uh, because culturally... Um, uh, Haiti divides amongst social status. Um, so even at the school, we we have students from all different uh, social background. Uh, we have students who minister way up in a faraway village, and they travel there once a week to preach a sermon and to check on the people, and they. Sometimes don't have enough money to even pay a motorcycle to bring them up. Sometimes they have to walk way up to do that work. And we have students who speak French, who uh, graduate from the university. And they're able to speak French and use the French resources that we have at great ease. Uh, we have students who've had only a fifth grade education where... It's more difficult for them to read the resources that we have in French. And, and by the way, I, I write my 
um, service notes in French, but I teach in Creole so that everyone can understand. Uh, so we have students who own cars. We have students who own motorcycles. We have students who own neither. Um, so the culture would uh, um, cause our student who owns a car to look down upon the ministry of the student who's walking by foot to go way up in a uh, faraway village to minister uh, to God's people. So we have to work hard, even as professors and even as an executive dean, to ensure that the same welcome that I give the student who's pastoring a 200-member church in, the ma- in one of the major towns is the same welcome and care that I give the student who doesn't own a car, who doesn't own a motorcycle, but who's ministering to God's people in a far away secluded village. And for that student to know that they're included, they're part of the work that we're doing together. So amongst your congregation, you got different ages, you got different generations, you got different cultural backgrounds, you got different traditions. You got to work hard to ensure that everyone is included, that everyone knows that they're a part of River City Grace Community Church, and they have a significant role to play, and their role is embraced, respected, and honored, and we give God thanks for the role that one another play. Amen. So to wrap it up. So we've seen the foundation. We've seen the beauty. Amen. Sometimes you can work hard. And working hard to be exclusive. To maintain the unity. That could be painful. And sometimes working hard to ensure that we're inclusive. That we include everything. Everyone. That can be painful as well. So I want to give you hope as we work together, as we seek the Lord together to have greater unity. Here's the hope. And the hope can be seen in the like-mindedness that I have with whomever prepared this service. The commonality that we share in our common doctrine. As the hope is in John 17. That's the great hope. Why is that a great hope? Because our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ prayed that we would be unified. Does the Father answer the prayer of the Son? Yes. That's my hope. That's my hope as I work hard in Haiti to ensure that the gospel is proclaimed more faithfully with greater clarity. That's my hope in ensuring that the local churches are united around a common doctrine. That is my hope to ensure that the people of Haiti, that the local church would have a common hope tied around a common blessing and a common commitment to obeying God's word together. That hope is centered on the, on the prayer of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. John 17 verse 13. But now I come to you and these things I speak in the world so that they may 
have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, your word, doctrine. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth doctrine again. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world together, together, inclusively. For their sakes, I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. Truth. I emphasize that just to emphasize common doctrine is essential for Christian unity. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, through their doctrine. That's us. Jesus prayed for us. We believed in the teaching of the apostles. The apostles faithfully proclaimed the doctrine that they received from Jesus. And disciples upon disciples were made, leading all the way to us. Jesus prayed for you and me. That they may be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us. So that the world may believe that you sent, that you sent me. So we need to pursue unity and get busy about doing the hard work and being unified because our evangelistic witness is depending on it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for one another. And we thank you for the great hope that we have in Christ and for our dependence upon Christ and trusting that Christ is and will unify his church. Bless your people. In Jesus' name, amen.